Well, it's great to be back. Uh, it's, Pam and I were on vacation for a couple weeks. We went out west, wide open spaces, uh, where, I, where I like to, to be, just uh, it's kind of where I'm from and just had a great time. But we missed you guys. As a matter of fact, we tuned in to the service last Sunday before we went to my daughter's service in San Antonio, uh, her church. We tuned in and, and watched watch you guys here, miss you guys, and it's glad to be back. As Lindsay just said, we're in a series, Made for More, and we just want to kind of, we've been talking about all the pieces of this, and today I just want to wrap it all up, where we've been talking about these four Ds, this purpose statement of our church, which is discover truth, decide on Jesus, demonstrate change, and deploy for others. And so we, we, I, I want to show you from Scripture really how this played out and just when people's lives, when they became a believer in a very short and simple story. But, uh, but, but before we get there, I just want to cover some other things. This discovering truth, the way we start, uh, this is key. And the way we discover truth is really by asking questions. And, and as we discover truth, I mean big truth, big questions, God-sized questions, we can't be afraid of asking the hard questions. For example, um, I think the toughest question, there are four major questions of existence, but I think maybe the toughest question, the biggest question we have is the question of meaning. Why am I here? Yeah, that's rain, right? Why am I, why am I here? What is my purpose? Does, does any of this matter? You know, that's the major... Now, people don't like asking that question. We think about it a little bit, but a lot of times we don't dwell on that question because it makes us uncomfortable. Because we start realizing that, okay, as I start digging into this, uh, it attacks my sense of security. It starts making me think that maybe I'm wasting my life. And so it's easy to dismiss this major question, which is kind of funny about us as human beings. If, if I were just to tell all of you, hey, I want you to meet me tomorrow in the parking lot in front of church from 1 to 2 p.m. So in the middle of the day, meet me there. And a lot of you be saying, well, how important is it? I say, this is important. Meet me there. You've got to meet me there. Well, you'd all want to know why. Why? You'd want, and if I didn't tell you why, it frustrates you because you'd be thinking, I need to know why so I can figure out whether I should miss work or do this rather than whatever else I would be doing from one to two. If it's worth my drive over here, I, I want to know why. And if I didn't tell you why, it would frustrate you. We are incapable of spending an hour of our time without knowing why. But yet, many of us will live our entire lives without asking why. Isn't that strange? We'll just live out our lives without asking this huge question, why? Does it matter? Who, you know, what, what, is this important? And I think sometimes it may be easier to ask this question maybe when you're younger because you haven't got so invested in life yet. I remember as a teenager, as, as probably most of you, you know, you're thinking about, what am I going to do with my life? And I did not think I would ever be a pastor. That was not really on my radar. But I was just thinking, what, what am I going to do with my life? 
because I, I had this sense that I didn't want to live most of my life and then look back and think, I, I, I missed it. I blew it. I wasted my life. So on the front end, like many of you, I'm trying to figure out, what do I want to live for? What's the deal? And, and because I was a believer at that time, I knew God had to be a part of that. Okay, well, God gives us our purpose, our meaning, so I need to do something that God's okay with. That, that was my first thought. Well, whatever I do, I know God needs to be okay with it, because if God doesn't want me to do it, it won't amount to anything. It won't, it won't be significant. It, it won't matter. And, and just that's the kind of process we should have in our minds, but we shouldn't shy away from it. It's interesting because in the first century, it's the same way. In the first century, when the New Testament was written, when Jesus walked the planet, in the first century, most people spoke Greek because Greek had ruled the world before Rome. And so, and the Greek philosophers, and they were known for their philosophy, in the first century, uh, the philosophical schools has sort of gone into despair because they started questioning whether there was any meaning in life. It, it, the philosophers just got to a point where they started debating and questioning, is there any meaning at all? And they were thinking that there was not. By the way, that is the same thing that's happening today. And, and the Greek philosophy, they, they had this thing called uh, the... the Logos, and it's a Greek word that just means word, but to Greeks it meant way more than that. It was the, the rational principle. It was the, the purpose, the meaning for life, the logical reason for life. I mean, that was logos. But they started questioning, hey, whether there was any meaning. Well, when they did that, then all of a sudden they're questioning morality. And then that started trickling down into the culture in the first century. They, they understood the debate. Some, some of our leading thinkers are thinking there's no meaning in life. Well, if there's no meaning, then there's no right and wrong. It doesn't really matter how I, like, how I live because it, it, there's no meaning. It doesn't matter. And then that impacts a culture. And so it's right in the middle of a culture thinking that way, which, by the way, is the way our culture thinks, that in this environment in the first century, the apostle John drops this bomb in John 1 1. Here's what he says In the beginning was the Word, Logos. And the Word, Logos, was with God, and the Word, Logos, was God. He's saying, and to the Greek mind, now when Hebrews heard that word, Logos, they would think a little differently. That, that would take them back to Genesis 1. They would think God. To the Greeks, though, it was a principle, a rational, a meaning, a purpose of all of life, you know, what is it? And here John drops this, there is logos, there is reason, there is meaning, and our purpose is not a philosophical principle, it's a person, Jesus Christ, because that's who John was introducing. John said, hey, the Creator has invaded our world, He has come in flesh. He has descended to us. He is our person. He is our purpose. He is our reason. That's what John's saying here. We were built by him. We were made to know him, to love him. And this is what people struggle with today. 
is this, these whole questions. Sometimes they struggle with this, people do today, and, and they don't even realize what they're struggling with. But it really boils down to this when it comes to the biggest question of life, meaning. If there, some people believe there's no God. If there is no God, there's no logical way to come up with any meaning in life. Some people would say, well, there's a God, but we cannot know him. We cannot know him or anything about him, really. He's so far transcendent, we can't understand it, and we can't know anything about him. Well, again, then you're left with, without any reasoning from God, then there's no meaning. People struggle with that, all, and I don't think people really even understand it, what they're struggling with. Why are we here? Do we have a purpose, really? Does it matter why we live our life? Does anything matter? And, and there's no, without God, there's no satisfying, there's no logical answer to that question. And this impacts churches as well. The reason that people in churches say that they're Christians, but they do not uh, live meaningful or significant lives is because they really don't understand Christianity. We have a lot of people who say they're Christians, but they really don't get it. And a lot of times we want to share our faith with people. We, we know that's part, Tim was talking about that last week, that's part of what we should do. And the gospel is really very simple. Hey, there's a creator. Duh, look around. This is not that hard to figure out. There's a designer in the universe. And he's created us. And he's created us special in his image that we can reason and ask hard questions and know him. And he also said what's right and wrong. He put order in the universe and he gives us, he gives us a standard of morality. But because he created us as logical, free thinkers, he didn't make us abide to that standard. And so we've all violated that standard, all of us, in wanting just to live life our way. We've all violated God's standard. And God, being just, logically, we know that then, well, if he's going to be perfectly just, wrong has to be punished. And we've all done wrong. But because he loves us, he made a way. This is the gospel. This is the message. This is what we want to be able to share with everybody. That he made a way by sending his son, the Logos, the word, to take on flesh, to live among us, but ultimately to live a perfect life without sin and die as our substitute to pay for our wrongs, our sin against God. And then, at, at, having done that, then we can enter into a relationship with him through faith through belief. But when we do that, it rocks our world. I mean, it, it changes us. And so what I want us to see is uh, he, that when we become a Christian, God brings meaning into our lives. And it's, for probably most of us who are believers, we would say, especially if we became a believer a little later in life, or at least since you're a teenager, that we, we would say that after I became a believer, it's like I was awakened. 
to see what life was really about, to understand that this all does make sense. I, I might not know the answer to every question, but it makes logical sense. It's rational. And the veil is lifted. I kind of see things in a new reality. Well, what I want us to see is how this process of becoming a believer just happens in one life in the New Testament, in this first century environment. And the guy's name is Levi, and I want to read his story in Luke chapter 5. So if you want to grab your device and go to Luke 5, uh, that's, that's where I'm going to hit in just a minute, verse 27. But, and Levi, by the way, is, is a guy that's also called Matthew, and he's the one that wrote the first book in the New Testament, Matthew. And he talks about this event too, but let's see what Luke says about Matthew. Luke says about Levi. So here, here it is how this plays out in one guy's life. Talking about Jesus, verse 27 says, After that, he went out and noticed a tax collector named Levi sitting in the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. So get, get the story. Jesus, walking by, sees this guy and says, Follow me. Verse 28. And he left everything behind, and got up and began to follow Jesus. And Levi gave a big reception for him in his house. And there was a great crowd of tax collectors and other people who were reclining at the table with them. The Pharisees and their scribes began to grumble at his disciples saying, Why do you eat and drink with the tax collectors and sinners? They're complaining about the disciples, but they're also complaining about Jesus. Verse 31. And Jesus answered, he overhears this, and Jesus answered and said to them, It is not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Okay, so right here we have a snapshot of a tax collector, somebody who's far from God, who becomes a believer, and we see these steps working in his life. What is a real Christian? Here it is, a snapshot for us. First of all, real Christians discover truth, and as they discover truth, they feel a call, they experience a call to follow Jesus. As we discover truth and who Jesus is, we then feel this com compulsion or this ought to that we should follow him. Now, Levi is a tax collector in the area of Israel. It, he's from the area of Capernaum, a city on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. And being a tax collector is kind of a big deal. And if you, Roman, uh, the Roman army has gone in and conquered Israel. And so Roman, the Ro Rome occupies and they want to collect taxes. Well, then the best way for them to collect taxes, because they don't know these people who they are, is they would put, find some Jewish men that they could put on the payroll, and then these Jewish men would know their neighbors, know the people who lived in their town, know who had money, who didn't have money, who made money, and how they made money, and, and that's what would happen. So they'd get these guys, and they would pay them, put them on the payroll in order to collect taxes from people. And not only would they collect taxes for Rome, but they were allowed by Rome to also collect more than what was required for Rome, and then they, that would be their salary. That's how they paid themselves. So tax collectors lined their own pockets, and it was legal as far as Rome was concerned 
to do this. And so they were not well liked. They were considered traitors. The people at Levi's time, they would just consider him, he's already sold out. He's already sold his soul. And there's only one motivation to be a tax collector. What is it? Money. That's it. And everybody knew that. And all the Jewish people that knew Levi, after he became a tax collector, they all knew he was going to hell. And they couldn't wait for him to get there. And they didn't like the guy. This is Levi. He's doing his job. And Jesus comes by and and calls him. Jesus invites him to follow, which is interesting because later, Matthew, actually, in the book of Matthew, who, who is also Levi, he writes something in Matthew twenty two fourteen. 14. He says, for many are called, but few are chosen. So what does it mean to discover truth and be called by God? Well, as we discover truth about God, which is the most important truth, it's simply understanding that Jesus is inviting us to follow him to believe in him, to follow him, to, to make him a, a part of our lives, really to, to live for him. And so to be called by God is to realize that Jesus is inviting us to follow him. But here's the kicker. We also understand as we discover truth that to say, yes, I want to follow you, we start realizing that if we do that, we owe him our whole life. Actually, back it up a little bit. We start realizing as we discover truth, we owe God our whole life anyway. But to say, yes, I want to follow, we start realizing, wow, then if this is all true, I owe God everything. And that brings us to the the decision. Real Christians not only discover truth and then they'll discover this call, this invite from God, but real Christians decide to follow Jesus. We see this in his life. He gets up and follows. He goes. Now, today... When we talk to people about Jesus, people, unbelievers, a lot of them will put up all kinds of barriers. Unless they're in a crisis or, you know, if they're just living life and we're sort of interrupting their life by talking to them about Jesus, they'll put up barriers. And a lot of times what they'll do is they'll start asking what they think are really hard questions. Like they'll say something like, well, before we talk about Jesus, I just have one question. This has happened to me before. Well, what's the question? Well, I want to know what the Bible or what Christianity says about, and then fill in the blank. And this, t- typically these days, homosexuality. I want to know what the Bible, what God says about homosexuality. And they're using this as a litmus test. What they're doing is saying, based on the answer that you give me there, then I'll decide if I'm going to listen to anything. And if it's not homosexuality, it could be something from the Old Testament or some people got wiped out or this happened or that happened. or you know what? They'll, they'll just come up with some questions And what they're doing is they're trying to justify deciding not to follow Jesus. Now, when I talk to people like that, the problem is they're missing, that's not the question they should be asking. They're asking the wrong question. They're picking these details. And so here's what I usually say when they ask, I'll say, okay, well, I can answer that. That's a fair question. It's actually the wrong question, but I usually don't say that. That's a fair question. But here's the thing. Before I answer you, we've got to determine something. What's that? Well, we've got to determine who gets to decide. What do you mean by that? Well, some people think it's right. Some people think it's wrong. So who gets to decide? Who gets to make the decision? Because if there's a God, he gets to decide. It's kind of the deal. 
See, that's the wrong question. Why? Because the question they should be asking is, is Jesus the Son of God? Because once you settle that question, then you don't have all these other questions. Because he gets to decide. Does that make sense? So, but we, we go with where they are. And so we answer the questions, but really they're missing the question that they need to be asking. Logically, that's not the right question. Logically, the question is, is Jesus who he says he is? Because if he is, he sh we should live the way he told us to live, because he's the Son of God. If he's not the Son of God, then it shouldn't matter what he says. We don't have to do anything he says, because he's not the Son of God. We've got to figure that out. Don't follow Jesus because you agree with the life with the other, on the other side of this coin. Don't follow Jesus because you do agree with his lifestyle or his ethics. Follow Jesus because he's the Son of God. That's the only thing that makes logical sense. In Levi's case here, who decides to follow Jesus, and I know we read this and like, wow, that sounds a little strange. Can't really imagine that happening today. Well, he's in... Capernaum. Well, Capernaum, as I explained, is a city, but he's probably heard of Jesus. Why? Because Capernaum was Jesus's base of operations. It's his home base. He was born somewhere else, but this is where he did most of his ministry. So he's heard all about Jesus, probably heard all about John the Baptist. And even though he's not a follower or even a religious person, he knows what, he's probably heard many times what Jesus has been talking about, what John the Baptist has been talking about before him. He gets it, or at least he, he knows about him. And then he follows. But just because he knew him, that doesn't make his decision any less radical. Because he leaves everything. When he decides, he decides, he gets up and leaves everything behind and follows. He decides. Unfortunately, today, people say they've decided, but, but they really don't mean it. We all do this to some extent. Okay, how, are you with me? How many have at some point in your life said, Usually in January, you say something like, man, I'm going to lose 10 pounds. I, I said that this year. Have I lost 10 pounds? No, I have not. I, I thought I decided, but I didn't follow through. So, well, that means I didn't really decide. I, it was wishful thinking. It was a nice thought. It was something to attempt, but I, I didn't do it. Well, the same thing happens in Christian churches all the time. People say, yeah, I've made this decision, but have not followed through on following Christ. So how do we know that, we, that our decision is real? Well, third D, right? Real Christians demonstrate change. We're saying if you're really a Christian, it shows up in your life. Levi not only hears he gets up, he decides to follow, and he leaves everything behind. Nobody was quite, there was nobody around that didn't see the change. This guy's living different all of a sudden. He was all motivated by money. He's not motivated by money now. He just left everything to follow Jesus. We know a decision is real when there's follow-through. And if there's no follow-through, then we've got to question whether our decision is real or not. 
have we really made that decision? When it comes to Christianity, our follow-through is not based out of obligation or fear. Really, if we really understand Christianity, our follow-through is based on gratitude and joy. But it should show up in our life. So here's what happens. We live a nice, peaceful life. We have a tank of water here. Nice, peaceful life. Things are going well. Everything's good. There's no ripples. Don't worry, we have insurance here, right, John? Yeah, we're insured. And we have a bunch of great team of young pastors, so, you know. But we're living our life, and then we become, we become a believer, and it does this. Huh. I, became, I made a decision. And then, after that, we decide, you know, I should follow through with baptism. So someday, maybe weeks, maybe years later, we get baptized. Oh, that made a splash. And then maybe we grow and decide, wow, I need to be doing something. Maybe I'll decide to, to serve in the church. And so we, we figure that out and it makes another small ripple in our life. That's not biblical Christianity. Biblical Christianity is this. Biblical Christianity is Jesus rocks our world. We're not the same anymore. Everything's different. It might be messy, but Jesus has shown up in our life to the point where nothing is the same. He's rocked our world in every area of our life. How we spend our time, who we hang out with, how we spend our money, why we hang out with people, all that has changed because Jesus makes a difference in every single area. He has rocked us. And the question is, how is Jesus just made a little blip in your life? Or is everything different? Only you know that. But although people around you can see it, where are you at with Jesus? If Jesus is willing to die so that I don't have to spend a Christless eternity as the right consequence for my own sin, then that rocks my world. I want to follow him with my life. And I want others to get that too. And I know. I totally get It's so easy to get caught up in life. I mean, we know we should be living for certain, but we just get busy. You know, right now we get busy. Parents, you're busy making sure your kids are ready for school. They got all the clothes and supplies and all that stuff they need. Maybe you're a family and, and we got this season change. So you're trying to squeeze in another week's of vacation, you know, a few more vacation days. That's what Pam and I did or, or whatever it is. And, and, and we're always busy and, and it's so easy to just make this secondary. But it can't be secondary if he's rocked our world. It all has to fit in. It all has to run through the Jesus filter. What are we living for?
And the problem with it, and we justify it this way. Well, you know, as soon as school starts, then things will settle down. You know what I noticed around here? That I always think, you know, it'll get less. It's busy right now, but in a few weeks it'll be less busy, and then I'll get this and that done. And then I realize I've been saying this every month for two years. Who does that? Because we're always thinking it's going to be less busy. But it's not less busy. There's just something else keeping us busy. It just changes. Then it's Christmas or holidays or trips or family or whatever it is. We're always busy. Don't let the busyness of life rob us from our purpose, what God has put us here for. Don't let busyness keep you from your true purpose in life. I remember as a little kid, I grew up in a military home. We lived kind of coast to coast before we, he got out, and we ended up out west. But so I was the oldest, so I was the one that would always help mom with the projects around the house when he was gone or at sea or deployed. And a lot of that, because we moved a lot, am I going in and out? Because there's water all over the place. <laughs> a lot of that is because we moved a lot was setting up house. Sometimes we moved without dad and he would just show up on the other coast. And, and so, uh, you know, we'd be hanging pictures or doing whatever. And here's the thing. This is what I remember. It's kind of weird. Just a weird story from my childhood. I would always help mom do that stuff. Pound a nail, hang the pictures. But the thing is, we didn't have a hammer. We never had a hammer. When I was a little kid, we just lived in apartments and stuff. We never had a hammer. You know what we had? An ice cream scoop. That was our hammer. It was one just like that. And so every time we had to hang a picture, it was go get the ice cream scoop out of the civil war, civil, civil war drawer. That did not work so well. If you'll notice, there's no flat surface on this ice cream scoop. That's how ours was. But we, you know, I would be pounding the nails for years with the ice cream scoop. It didn't work very well. It wasn't the way to go. I'm not recommending it. On the other hand, just about every night, I remember eating ice cream. When we're eating ice cream, this was great. For ice cream, this worked. As a matter of fact, I still don't have an ice cream scoop that worked as good as our ice cream scoop did when I was a kid. It was great. You know, now I'm an adult. And because I never had a hammer, I have like four hammers now. <laughs> None of them scoop ice cream worth a lick. Here's, here's the thing. If we're not doing what we were created to do, we're missing our purpose. We're not going to experience significance and meaning if we're not doing what we've been designed to do. Do you realize God has designed all of us to follow Him, to do for Him, to forward His agenda, to, do, to be involved with what He's up to in history today, this afternoon? He's called us to be a part of that. As far as church goes, I don't want to get sidetracked too much, but 
Each individual, the Bible says, each individual, Zach talked about it two weeks ago, each individual, God has uniquely equipped you to serve in the local church. Every single true believer has been uniquely gifted, uniquely purposed to serve somewhere in the local church. And if you're not doing that, then our church isn't what it should be. And you're missing your purpose. And you're probably not experiencing the significance that you should be experiencing in your life. Real Christians understand God's given us a mission to be part of local church, to point others to Christ. And that, but that, that brings up the next D. Okay, well, how do I know that Jesus has rocked my world? How do I know I'm demonstrating change? Because it starts with just a different way of thinking. Well, the best practical way to know that is if you're deployed for others. I mean, we're just trying to make these four Ds as practical as they possibly could be. Discover truth, decide on Jesus. If you'll know you've done that if you demonstrate change, and you'll know you've demonstrated change if you actually deploy for others. This is the normal Christian life. This is what Levi did. That's the next thing that shows up in his story. I got to tell you, this passage is kind of weird for me because a lot of times I'll be talking to non-believers. Maybe somebody, I'm challenging them on something. This is a, a passage that non-believers bring up sometimes. You know, they'll say something like, well, you know, I, I like to, you know, we get together and we do a lot of partying and Jesus did that. Remember what happened with Levi? Big party there, Jesus right in the middle of it. And so Jesus would be right here doing this with us. Well, he might be right there with you, but he would be on mission challenging you to give up this life and to follow him. That's what they don't understand. Jesus was deployed for us. Levi understood that. He's deployed for others. So what does he do? He not only leaves everything behind to follow Jesus, but then we see this deployment in that he, he says, okay, what do I got? Well, if I don't have anything left, all I have are my friends that I'm about to leave. And so he calls all them together. He has a huge party, which doesn't seem like that was an, an unusual thing for him. And Jesus is the guest of honor. Now, in the first century, this was a big deal. These feasts, this level party, this is like a city knows what's happening level of a party. And he invites the non-religious crowd, the non-church crowd, we call them today. And they all come, his tax collector friends and sinners. We don't even know what that means, you know, the other sinners. Who knows? And they're all there, and he brings Jesus in. He's the guest of honor, and he gets these people to come in contact with Jesus, and Jesus is on mission. Levi is on mission. He's deployed for others. And here's the thing. Jesus has passed that mission on to you and me if you're a believer. He's passed the baton to us. Now it's our turn to deploy. Our turn to do what he's called us to do. And these Pharisees, they're religious leaders. And if you know anything about the New Testament, then they get increasingly antagonistic toward Jesus and his ministry. But I got to tell you something. They're bringing up a good point. They're bringing up a pretty good point. Here's what they're saying. 
you guys shouldn't be hanging around with those guys to the disciples. So he's criticizing the disciples and Jesus. And the point's not bad. Their point is bad company corrupts good character or good morals. How many's heard that? And that's actually right. It's actually stated in the Bible. Actually, Matthew, Levi, he writes this coming from Jesus' lips in Matthew 14. He says that same thing. He's saying, do not be, no, I'm sorry, this is Paul. Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, 33 says, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Bad company corrupts good morals. It, it's true. Today, you know what people say? That morally, we are the average of our five closest friends. You know, it's hard to judge ourselves morally. Well, here's one way you could do that. <laughs> Look at your five closest friends, aggregate those together, divide it up, you know. That's us. And some of you are thinking, I need better friends. <laughs> where, where are you? That's what Jesus is saying. He, Levi throws this feast. Jesus is the guest of honor. They don't, the Pharisees don't object to the party. They object to the, the guest list. Not the moral people in town. Yeah, I, I always picture what it might be been like with Levi. Oh, this will be a good idea. And then all his friends start coming in and Jesus is there. And you know, at some point he's going, oh, oh wow, maybe, maybe this wasn't such a good idea. I, I don't know. A little messy maybe. But Levi was on mission. Now it's our mission. That's why Jesus says what he says at the end. When he heard what the Pharisees said, and Jesus answered and said, it is not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. That's our mission. You see, when Levi became a believer, he took it seriously. He left everything. I'm not saying everybody's got to leave their jobs. I'm saying following Jesus has to be number one. He left everything. He threw a party. Tried to get everybody to meet Jesus. He ends up writing one of the Gospels, the book of Matthew. So that means Levi, the tax collector, wrote the most, part of most, the most popular part of the most popular book in the world. Later, he dies from a sword wound in Ethiopia, spreading the gospel. This is the normative Christian life. That we discover truth, we feel God's call, we decide on Jesus, it changes, it makes, it rocks our, he rocks our world. We demonstrate change, and that shows up when we deploy for others. That's what being a Christian is. And if you're thinking somehow it's less than that, I think you've deceived yourself. And we're going to talk about this more as a church. But today, I want to wrap it up as this series is more focused on us as individuals. What's your next step? Because you're never going to experience your true meaning or your purpose. You're never going to really understand your true significance 
until you realize and act on the fact that you, you as an individual, you were made for more. Let's stand together for prayer. Father God, we thank you for the day. Thanks for bringing us together. Thanks for everybody being here. And Lord, that we can encourage each other and just do what you've told us to do as we come together as a church. And we can also praise you and focus on your word. And God, I pray that that each of us here would not be afraid to ask big questions and apply them to our lives. And I pray that you would totally rock every area of our world as we follow you. Thank you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for being here. See you next Sunday.